Hello and welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast, the show that empowers you to wake up to your full potential and achieve your biggest goals and dreams. I am your host, Hal Elrod, and I invite you to join us each week as we share actionable strategies to take your life to the next level, as well as interview world-class experts and entrepreneurs who have achieved extraordinary goals themselves, and we ask them to give you a peek behind the curtain and teach you exactly what you need to do to do the same. Ready? Here we go. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast. This is your host, Hal Elrod. And first, I just want to tell you the Miracle Morning Updated and Expanded Edition is officially available for pre-order. You might already know that. I'm sure I've sent you some emails if you're on my email list, but I'm so excited. I have poured the last 18 months, well, really 15 years, but 18 months specifically in updating this new edition. You can pre-order it at thenewmiraclemorning.com. That is thenewmiraclemorning.com. And there's a bunch of pre-order bonuses. If you order one book, you get the immediate implementation kit, which is a a masterclass that I recorded for you, an hour and eight minute long masterclass with a four-page handout that goes along with it. You also get the first 30 pages of the new book, plus the Miracle Evening and the Miracle Life chapter, uh, the previews of those. What else? Oh, and you get two exclusive app tracks, the Miracle Evening and the Miracle Life that are available nowhere else except for in the app. So, and then if you buy five books, there's all these packages for if you want to like get holiday gifts, since we're almost at Christmas, right? You can go get five books and you get five tickets, not just one, but five tickets to the Miracle Year live virtual event that is going on December 14th. It'll be recorded if you can't make it live. But the point is not just for you, but the five tickets to go with the five or four people that you gift a book to. And then at 10 books, you get an autographed copy. There's a whole bunch of bonuses. I won't go over all of them. But head over to thenewmiraclemorning.com today to pre-order your copies, get access to these bonuses, because I believe they do go away that on the day the book publishes, which is 12-12-2023. So thank you so much for your support. I'm really excited to hear what you think of the new edition and how it helps you on the next step in your Miracle Morning journey or your first step if you're brand new. Today, we're talking to Granger Smith. And this is actually... Exciting. If you don't know who Granger is, I'm actually going to read this to you because I don't want to paraphrase it. I want to read this. So on June 4th, 2019, country music singer Granger Smith was enjoying a final evening with his kids before heading to Nashville for the Country Music Television CMT Music Awards and his next tour. While helping his daughter London with her gymnastics, his youngest son fell into the pool. Granger did everything he could to get him to save him, but he was too late. River drowned and Granger's world shattered. The days, weeks, and months that followed River's death sent Granger on a dark and painful journey. Every time he closed his eyes, he replayed the horrific events in his mind. And every time he opened his computer, he was bombarded by the critique and criticisms of people who blamed him for the accident. Despite his best effort to get back on stage with a smile and a song, it was all a facade because on the inside, he was dying. Fortunately, that is not how his story ended, and now he is compelled to help people all around the world find strength, peace, and hope on the other side of tragedy. And his new book, It Is Like a River, it is a triumphant story of new life birthed out of tragedy. And this conversation, I was so grateful when I got to connect with River. A friend of mine, Dan Caldwell, he's the founder of Tap Out, he reached out and he said, hey, River mentioned you in his book. I didn't know who Ranger was. And so that's how it started. And then I was like, this guy is so inspiring. I'm blown away. 
And now I listen to his music. Like I'm just a fan. I've got his book on Audible, on Kindle. I'm reading them. I'm listening to it. I love that he read the audiobook. You're about to find out he's just an authentic. You can just tell when someone's just a good human being. Granger is an amazing human being and one of the most successful country music artists of all time. Yet you're about to find out he's leaving his career. He just left his career to share the word of God, if you will, and, and pursue a calling that he feels is on his heart. And so, yeah, uh, amazing conversation you're about to listen to. Before we dive in, I do thank our one sponsor for today's podcast that is Organifi. And again, bringing you the highest quality organic whole food supplements. Head over to Organifi.com. That is O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I, Organifi.com forward slash Hal. And then use the discount code Hal at checkout for 20% off your order. And again, the products are the red juice I take every morning, the focus I take every morning, the protein powder, vanilla, organic, plant-based protein powder that I take with my smoothie almost every single day and products like their gold juice to rest in, in the evening. They've got a whole variety. If you want to improve your health, your wellness, your energy, your sleep, again, head over to Organifi.com forward slash Hal, and then use the discount code Hal for 20% off your order. All right, I know that was a lot, but without further ado, a really beautiful conversation with the one, the only, Mr. Granger Smith, author of the new book, Like a River. Ranger, welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast. Man, thanks for having me, buddy. Yeah, no, as I was just telling you, this is it's really, really a pleasure to connect with you. I didn't know who you were about a month ago. And then a friend, Dan Caldwell, reached out and he said, you've got to read this book, Like a River. And he mentioned it, it that you had mentioned The Miracle Morning in the book a few times. So that was the connection where I think that's why he reached out to me. I'm sure he recommended your book to a lot of people. But I've got the audio book. I've got the Kindle book. And I'm just, I'm a fan of your music now. I'm listening to your music. I'm a fan of your writing, but I'm a fan of you as a human being. And I think that more than anything, like who you are, I think that you just sense authenticity when you, you're like, oh, this is actually a good person. There's no mm. front. They're not BSing me. They're not manipulating me. They're not trying to sell <laughs> like you're just a good human. So uh, thank you for, for being who you are and being courageous to, to show up in the world the way that you have been. Man, that means a lot. And yeah, I've been a fan of you for a long time. And yeah, he's not lying that the, the Miracle Morning is, it might be mentioned, I don't know if it's mentioned three times, but it's it's definitely kind of underlying a lot of the themes mm. in the book itself in Like a River. So yeah, I, I had my Miracle Morning this morning. So it's been the journey for me. Oh, uh, that's amazing. So reading your bio is, it's like, wow, this guy's, you know, one of the most successful country music artists of all time. He's an actor, an author, New York Times bestselling author, all of these different things. I was really putting a lot of energy, like, where where do we start with this this interview and mm. this conversation and this story? And let's just start with now, and we can kind of work our way backwards. Meaning you just wrote, I believe it's your second book, Like a River is your second book, right? It's my first trade book. There's like a coffee table kids book before that, but this is, Black River is my first trade book. Okay, yeah. got it. And so for those that don't know you and your story, what's the book based? I mean, it's based on every parent's worst nightmare. It's based mm. on a tragedy. It's based on you and your wife committing to stick together for your other children and to heal in the midst of tragedy. And then now you're paying it forward and you're sharing it through the book. So talk about the book. Talk about the subject matter. What, take us back to that day in 2019. And then why did you write this book and what do you hope it's going to do for people? Yeah, it's the catalyst really of the book is chapter one. And that mm -hmm. is, we lost our son, River, and he drowned in our 
home pool. And I was, I was there. This was in June of 2019. I was in the backyard with the three kids and the boys were playing water gun fight. I was, I was playing with my daughter. She was doing a gymnastics routine. It's just this beautiful Texas evening in June. And I remember thinking, soak this moment in because it won't last forever. You know, moments like this, just they fly by, especially when you have kids. And, and I didn't realize how true that statement actually was because soon after that, it was quiet. And I thought, where's river. And I looked over my shoulder and he was inside of our locked gated pool. We still don't know how he got in there, but I I ran to grab him. It must've been 30 seconds, 60 seconds since I'd seen him. But we know now that, that this could happen quickly yeah. with a child because they inhale water mm. and they lose consciousness. I didn't know CPR besides what I'd seen in movies, but you know, my nightmare started there. I started trying to uh, administer CPR. My wife came out. My daughter got my wife. She came out. She had to go back in to get my phone. We called 911. We live out in the country. But emergency services weren't able to arrive for about 10 minutes, and that's just way too long for him to be unconscious. That's literally how the book starts. And it's interesting looking back on it because that's not really what the book is about. Mm. It's it's about the aftermath of that. That's why yeah. it starts there. It's going to start yeah. there at that, at that scene. But it, it's my demise after that, really, just overridden with guilt and, and shame and burden and loss and grief. And it's my story of navigating that. And the story I, I tell people when they go, oh, it's going to take me a while to read the book. I always say it has a good ending. It has a happy ending. Mm. So yeah, the, the book really is that journey through that. And, and like you also mentioned how the, my wife and I making the decision, the very unromantic decision that we were going to love each other through this, defi- despite the statistics that people get divorced over things like this. Yeah. Talk about that moment when you and your wife, I believe it was at the hospital. And, and I don't recall if River, if you had known that he couldn't be saved at that point, mm. clarify that part. But what was that like when you and your wife, like talk about that decision, that conversation that like, hey, we're going to stick together through this. Because it seems like to even be thinking like almost that's like a meta view of like, okay, hey, this is happening. We have other mm. children. We have each other. We have a family. Like, so, so talk about that. Yeah, that that meta view is that's a good way to look at it, and that, that kind of was prevalent through a lot of that time for us when we were really in shock and we weren't making these big conscious decisions on our own. It was it was kind of this meta view of it, and mm. so when, when the emergency services arrived at our old house, they were able to recover his heartbeat again, and that gave us a sense of hope. Like, oh, okay, good. Well, we really dodged a bullet here. Wow. So as we as we followed the ambulance to the hospital. Um, we had a, a lot of hope that he was going to make it and, and it was going to be a long journey. In fact, nurses even told us, they said, look, he might look good and he's got a good heartbeat, but he was on the breathing machine and he's going to be very sick regardless of what happens here. And so I thought, okay, well, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, he's going to have some kind of mental disability. That's okay. You know, as long as, long as we get him back. And it wasn't for about 24 hours before we realized when the doctors came in and said, we want to tell you there's zero chance of recovery. That was the first time I had heard that because we, the nurses had been telling us like, okay, you know, this is, this is a good sign or this is hopeful that what wow. this reading means this could be hopeful. And so we continued to have that hope until then. And so everything crashed. It, it, we weren't 
gradually going that direction. It was all at once. They came in and said, they sat us down and said, look, there is all the, we've done all the neurological tests and there is zero chance of recovery. So they said, part of this discussion is, and they said it in in a gracious way. They said, part of this discussion is we need your permission legally to turn off the machine. And so we're kind of like, well, we want a second opinion. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only thing we could think to say. We want a second opinion. And they said, absolutely. We'll bring in another team. Like they were expecting that, that conversation. Mm. They bring in another team after a few hours of research, they came in once again, just heartfelt and very gracious and said, collectively as, as a team, we want to say that we've seen this before and there's zero chance of recovery, but we need to know when you will give us permission to turn off the machine. So at that point, Amber and I said, oh, just complete shock. We were just, <laughs> I mean, to, the, the way I'm almost describing the story right now, just so surface level, it, just, it can't begin to get to the depths of what the, the confusion we were going through. Really, that's a good word, maybe. It's just so confused. I mean, just a few hours earlier, a few days earlier, we had this beautiful baby boy, three years old, the life of the party, always always uh, at the center of attention and and exploring and exciting and laughing and and cutting jokes and now they're telling us oh he, we're gonna have to put him in the ground in about six days that that was not computing to me mm. i could not begin to, to i couldn't go there so amber and i take a walk and we got to this serenity garden it was in dell children's hospital in austin we walk out to this little serenity garden and we i remember walking up to this railing and we just kind of looked out into this little pond and we're just staring at the at the garden, and I don't remember who started it, honestly, but we, we kind of simultaneously looked at each other and said, we're going to stick together through this, regardless of what the statistics say. We need to make a deal right now. I mean, it was almost, like I said, it's just unromantic, just handshake deal. We're going to yeah. do this. We're going to make a decision to stick through this, and it's going to get bad. It's going to get really bad. And we had no idea how bad it could possibly get. Uh, but that, but we knew that it would. We knew yeah. that the, the reality would set in. But, the, you know, that decision, I think about it often. And that, that meant the world to that scenario. Now, looking back uh, almost five years removed or four years removed from that, that was a decision that really mattered mm. as we hit the turmoil of life that was to come. So... Just hard to imagine. And what a roller coaster from river at the pool to then, oh, they got a heartbeat. It's okay. Mm. Thank you, God. It's a miracle, right? And then the nurse is mm. giving you the good sign, good sign. And then just that complete 180 of like, oh no, there's no chance. Mm. You talked in the book openly about how hard it was and the guilt that you felt the night that you reached for the nine millimeter and thought about taking your own life, the voice of God that you heard the cry that you made out. Talk us through a little bit of that, of what were some of the most difficult times, and maybe it was that night, but what were the most difficult times and and what saved you? And that really leads into the direction that your life is heading right now. Yeah. The reason that that was the worst night, and it certainly was, it was about six months after we lost Riv, I hit complete rock bottom. But the reason that felt like rock bottom was because there were times when I've made a little progress. And there were times I got, I was kind of fixing myself and getting a little bit better here with Amber and I went to therapy. I was practicing what we learned in therapy. And there were times when it actually worked pretty good. Mm. And that particular day we were in Boise, Idaho, 
was about six months removed from losing him. And I remember we had a show. It was just a really good show. We were distracted by a couple other things going on during that day. My guitar player got injured uh, snow skiing that day, broke his collarbone. So there was, wow. there was these nice little life distractions that as we leaned into the concert, one less guitar player on the stage and he was, he ended up being fine, but yeah. And then we, we pulled off a show and it went really well. And through those distractions and the good show and the lack of guitar player and me focusing on the music. And we walked away from the show and I thought, man, I feel a little bit normal again. This is the first time in six months that I felt normal. Cause I went through all kinds of guilt and shame and going on the public platform and playing music. So many times I walked on the stage and I thought, here I am. I'm the guy, the father that was neglectful, that couldn't keep his own son alive till he's 18. That's like the joke that people say, just keep them alive till they're 18. Well, yeah. I failed at that. And I'm on public display. Look at me, the shameful guy, the guy, the guy that just couldn't do it. And I felt like that for months and slowly would get better and better and better until the culmination of that show and the good vibes from the band and the good crowd and it was after that show we decided to have a few drinks to celebrate mm. a pretty normal feeling night. And that was a, a huge mistake in hindsight because when I had a few drinks, I went back to the bus and I suddenly thought, oh, this is, this is the first time I've been inebriated oh, wow. since we lost Riff. Will I be able to, in this inebriated state, will I be able to fight through those horrible visions through all those bad feelings, will I be able to muscle through that like I had learned in therapy? And the answer was no, a resounding no. And that's when I decided, you know what, in this inebriated state, in this, I'm kind of walking through this lightly. But yeah. that was the moment I decided, you know, here's where the rest is. Here's where the peace is. Just end my life. That'll be a lot better. Because then I won't, then I won't think about this stuff anymore. That's, that's the surefire way to end all these bad feelings and to get out of this trap. And it was that night when I realized that those thoughts were outside of any kind of rationale that I had, outside of any, any side of consciousness that I might have had myself. Those were thoughts that were outside of me. Mm. And that's when I realized I was in a spiritual warfare. And then I was under attack. I was flanked, surrounded. I had no weapons to defend myself. And I was in a war that I didn't even know I was fighting. That's when I realized it that night. And, and I cried out to Jesus that night, not really knowing why I wasn't really a, a true Christian, I could say. it. I thought, maybe thought I was. But when I called out to Jesus that night, the war ended and all of those crazy thoughts ceased. And I fell on the floor and ended up uh, passing out on the floor of that bus. That was the beginning of a new awakening for me. When you say you cried out to Jesus, I, I've heard you say the exact words. So what were the words that you said? I said, Jesus, my God, my God, save me, save me. Mm. And from what I heard you say before, that at that, from that point on, at that moment, the visions, you called it the slideshow, where it kept, you kept replaying yeah. Yeah. River's death, and then the ambulance ride, and then being at the hospital, and then telling the kids, right? You, just, you, you were replaying this for those six months, this slideshow of terror, if you will, right? Every parent's worst nightmare. And you said that after you cried out in that way, that the slideshow stopped. Is that, is that right? It did. It did. And it, it didn't stop permanently, mm. but it, it ended that night for the first time. There, there was a lot of other vices 
marijuana pins and things like that that could dull the slideshow. But that was the only thing that stopped it. And then that that was the, the catalyst for me thinking, oh, there's there's something else at work here. And and then Hal, I'm curious for you. I mean, can you relate to that slideshow? Like after your accident, for instance, can you relate to the idea where your brain is trying to trying to comprehend something? It's trying yeah. to find an answer to something that's unanswerable. Yeah. And so it's running the slideshow around to try to, to find the loop, the end of the loop. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I honestly think that most people can relate to that in different ways. But, you know, I think that that's what our, our brain is a problem solving mechanism. It's literally right. trying to figure things out and solve problems all the time. And I think it's a big reason why people can't sleep because they lay down at night. And if they don't make the conscious decision that, okay, I've got to shut my brain down. I've got to, I'm not going to try to solve all of my life problems right now as I'm supposed to be falling asleep. I think that, a, yeah, I think that most people play some form of whether it's, they think of it as a slideshow, but it's just some way where their brain, our brain is always trying to figure it out, solve the problems, close the loops. What's your resolution to that, Granger, other than calling out the way that you did? Do you have, you know, you mentioned therapy was helpful for you. Are there any, any tips you can give people listening right now that are like, man, I can't sleep at night because my finances, maybe they haven't lost a child, but you know, their, their finances aren't in a good place, like whatever, just normal everyday challenges that people face that cause stress and anxiety and depression and fear. Are there any mechanisms, any tools, any strategies that you found that are helpful to, to rest that mind? Yeah. I mean, you, you probably know where I'm, where I'm going with that by now, but that's when shortly after that, as I began a new quest of what was this outside of me that the, the spiritual warfare that then ceased on that night, what was this? And so my miracle morning then started transforming because I had, and I know that you didn't call me on this podcast to talk about the miracle morning, but, no. it, but it is a big part of my life. And yeah. so I, I know that you're too humble to, uh, <laughs> to, to want to even go there. But before this, before that night in Boise, my miracle morning was was really strategized towards me helping myself, finding solutions myself, mm. powering through things. And after that, my miracle morning slowly started changing actually to what it is still today, to this day, what it was this morning. It is much more of a surrender. Mm. It's much more of a, I do not have the power to conquer my own problems. Now you can conquer your problems when they're when they're mild. Sure. But when they can re when they reach a certain level, I have realized that I am not in control. And you don't have to be a Christian to to realize that. There are just things outside of me that will happen, that could happen, that can happen, like we saw with COVID or, <laughs> or anything else that happens in our life that yeah. we couldn't control and we can't manipulate and we can't power our way through. There's certain things. When you get strep throat, you can't power your way into not having a sore throat. You have to deal with You have to live with it. You have yeah. to live in it. You have to uh, surrender to that moment. And so my miracle morning really turned into much more of a surrender. And for me, that was, that was reading the Bible. I actually stopped reading devotionals that were taking highlights of the Bible and I started reading it itself. It's called the McShane Plan. And it basically gets you through twice of the New Testament, twice the Psalms, and once the Old Testament in a year. And so it's a plan where you're reading about four chapters a day. And, and I put that into my Miracle Morning. How do you spell that, the McShane Plan? I want to look that up. Yeah, it is M-C. It's Irish. Let me make sure that I'm saying it right. 
Yeah, it's M apostrophe C H E Y N E. Got it. Okay. It's the McShane plan. And it's just a really good plan. And it's it's a great addition to my miracle morning. And it, and that started changing me. That started transforming me as I learned more and more of who God is. Mm. And he is sovereign. He's providential. And resting in that. I mean, when you rest in a providential God, you have a lot less to worry about. And whether that's finances or whether that's losing a loved one, it's unbelievable really what what that does for your mental state. You know what? I'm going to show you actually my miracle morning this morning. I want to show you something here because it's very relevant to Hal Elrod. And this is a great example. Part of my reading in my four chapters this morning was in Jeremiah 10, and this is verse 23. It says this, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. That's crazy. (laughs) Verse 12 says, it is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens. And he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings forth the wind from his storehouses. And you read things like this enough on enough mornings, and you go, oh, praise God. He's got this day. He's got the whole world in his hands. It's not me. It's not in my own power. And slowly, over time, you just start resting in that. And your anxiety starts to vanish. And you just go, God, you got it. You got it. Yeah. I'll follow you. Let me follow you. Wow. Yeah. Just a few weeks ago, I did a podcast on surrendering and that we're we're trying to control everything and take it all on ourselves. And that's so stressful. <laughs> you know, mm. it's so overwhelming. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there is for me, so Granger, so this is interesting. So I've always been really thoughtful, careful in my writing to think, okay, people like the Miracle Morning, for example, this is universally applicable whether you are Jewish or Christian or Muslim or atheist or like for all people. Absolutely. So I've always been really, really cautious to kind of like, I always mention God in my books, but I'm also, I try to not think, hey, it's either this way or you're not on the right path. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But, and so I always have also tried to explain different aspects of God. Like my last book, The Miracle Equation was like unwavering faith plus extraordinary effort is how you co-create miracles, right? But it's the idea where it's like, you know, I often will people will message me, they're like, wait, so I can tell you believe in God, are you like, you know, but they're not totally sure. And I'm like, that's actually what I wanted. I wanted you to be like, how do I apply this to me, whatever my beliefs are? Now you, I love that you're, though you're, you know, you're very clear in your Christian faith and you are going all in. So let's, if it's okay, I'd love to pivot to, this next phase of your life. So you are one of the most successful touring country music artists in America and the world, sold out shows. You just performed your last sold out show here in your home state of Texas. And now talk about the next phase of your life. And I mean, I just can't even imagine like you're living your dream, you know, and or at least it's been the dream up until this point, but you feel this calling from God that is so powerful that you're not going to try to divide your time between the two. You're literally leaving this amazing, successful career you've had to pursue this new path. I'd love to hear about this. <laughs> yeah, it's well, it didn't happen all at once. I didn't just wake up and say, oh, this is all, I'm just going to throw it all away. <laughs> okay. It took a few years, really. 
of this feeling. And man, how you said, you said the word, you said mm. the word and it's mm. surrender. Mm. And that sometimes you, you could hear that word. And, and especially in America, we would think that that, that sounds like weakness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Surrender. That sounds like retreat. And, and like, I'm waving a white flag. Yeah. I'm giving myself up and it, it surrender is, is much more of an action. It's, it's much more of an actionable term that we have to understand that surrender, like that the word meekness, does not mean weakness. It means power under control, under constraint. It's saying that, look, I have this, I have built this, and I am grateful for this, and I am releasing it to something that is greater than me. And how do we know that that even makes sense? Well, anyone that's traveled long enough through life, that's journeyed through life, knows that they can get beat down to something that is not within themselves. And so to surrender to that and say, God, this is yours. Let me follow you. That's the beginning of such peace and such rest. And as I began to do that more and more, and I was still fighting for um, myself and exalting myself in my music career and getting up on stage and and needing people to, uh, to applaud and clap. And then I would get off the stage and I would go back to reading my Bible, like that Jeremiah 10 that I read. And it's like, man, I want to surrender more, not because I'm weaker, but because I feel like I'm getting stronger by the surrender. And I'm feeling more joy and I'm feeling more hope and more peace. And so it's, it turns out where the best way I could say it is, it's like, I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where I found some bread. Mm. I've been eating this bread over here. And buddy, I want to show you this bread over here. Like you don't have to eat it, but I'm telling you what I found and and the way that I feel in the book of Matthew, Jesus told this parable. We said the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field that a man finds and covers up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. It's not that I'm giving something up for some life of uh, some monk life. Yeah. I'm trading something for a, a treasure <laughs> that's an incredible treasure that I want to show more people about this this completely priceless treasure that I have found. And um, and I know there's people listening to me. There's people listening to my podcast that think I'm crazy. There's people listening to my radio show that think I'm crazy. And there's probably people <laughs> listening right now, maybe, that think, yeah. oh, this guy's just crazy. And maybe I am. <laughs> and that's okay. But man, I, I have so much joy and so much peace, and so much rest. I just want to tell you where I found this bread. And if you want to munch on it, please, yeah. let yeah. me show you where it is. Yeah, I think that's it, man. It's that's that's To me, that's the purpose of life, is to fulfill your potential, to follow your calling, and then to help other people do the same. And to your point, it's like, hey, here's what works for me. Here's, here's what I found. Here's the treasure that I found. Give this a shot. You know, and I was mm-hmm. thinking about um, how many people billions of people that their relationship with God, with a higher power, um, how it brings peace, peace of mind, how it gives them faith in themselves, how it may, you mentioned like what it does for your mental health, which I think is so true. Sometimes that's at night, how I'll shut my brain off is I'll just go, all right, God, I'm giving it to you. I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> like I, I need to, I need to stop thinking about this because I'm not fixing anything. I'm just stressing myself out. I need to sleep. Is that a deal? Like, mm. you got this, I'm going to go to sleep. And it's like, yes, okay, cool, thank you. And I can actually sleep, right? And even if yeah. for someone that's like, that's skeptical or that's not religious or spiritual, you know, it's like, there's an interesting, an interesting question is, like I was examining beliefs the other day and I thought, you know, 
our own, our, every person's reality is really just constructed in their head, right? In their mind of like, this is what I believe is real. Um, so the real question is, is it useful, right? Is this belief useful? For example, right now the world's in a pretty crazy place, right? There's a lot of uncertainty. I feel uh, more so ever than I felt in my lifetime. And there's a narrative that we could buy into a belief that is like, oh my gosh, the future is going to be worse than life is now society, the government, yada, 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 things that are out of my control, I think are, are, are heading in a bad direction. And there may be truth to that. But if that's the belief that you choose to entertain and to think about as you're laying down to bed or to, right, if that becomes your God, so to speak, this fear of an unknown future, is that useful? Not, not really, right? It's, it's detrimental to your mental and emotional well-being. But if you were to just switch that and go, you know what? I actually have faith in God that life's going to, whatever happens, A, I can handle it. I can handle it with, you know, with God's help. And B, I'm actually going to choose to believe that the future is going to be even better than the present or that it's just going to be whatever it is. And it's going to be perfect, right? You know, like you went through, you would have never in a million years ever. And to this day, I would imagine you would never want to lose your son. Um, But in some ways, and I, 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 I remember you said something along this line that, you know, just something that some of the, the greatest blessings in our life are things we would have never asked for and even painful, tragic circumstances. You know, I don't know if you know this, but my sister died. My, so my parents, I was eight years old and I heard my mother screaming across the hall and my sister died that morning. She was 18 months old and she died of heart mm. failure in my mother's arms. Mm. You know, every mother's nightmare. And, but within a matter of months, my parents were leading support groups for other children that had lost the other parents that had lost their children. Right. Then they started doing Mm. fundraisers for the hospital that say, tried to save my sister's life. Right. So, so much good came out of it. Right. Who my parents became in terms of their resiliency that they passed on to me to deal with my tragedies later. So I think that just having that belief and whether someone puts it, gives it to God or just chooses to believe that I can handle anything that comes my way. Uh, and I, you know, similar to you, I find that when I surrender my favorite words that make me feel so more peace and joy than anything is thank you, God. Like as I lay to bed at night, thank you, God. And then I just go through the list of all of the things, but, and this is, this goes back to like, this is my bread, try it out. Or, you know, you know, this is what works for me is I don't know why I literally can't even explain it. And I don't have to, I don't care if I say I'm grateful for my son it doesn't have the same impact on my nervous system as thank you, God, for my son. I don't know why. When I express the gratitude to God, it's far more impactful on, so is it useful, right? It's far more impactful than if I just blindly say, thank you for this, or I'm grateful for this, right? Um, And to your point, if you just say, I surrender all of my problems, if you just surrender them to the ethos, for me, it's not nearly as impactful as when I say, God, I give this to you. I'm going to go to bed. Please help me handle this, right, while I'm sleeping. And uh, give me a solution in the morning if you can. That'd be great, right? When I direct that gratitude, that surrender, anything and everything to God, it is infinitely more helpful and, 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 and impactful for me. So any, any thoughts on that? Any follow-up? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of thoughts. And I think you're onto something and it's so good. So C.S. Lewis mm. was a an evidentialist apologist. And they brought him on to the BBC in 1941 
to give a message. Uh, it's similar to what you said or, earlier, Hal, about how your podcast is for, and, and all of your listeners, are for all faiths. So they brought in C.S. Lewis as an apologist to use evidence to give people hope and peace on the radio during World War II in Great Britain. Hmm. So that's a big task for him. And so what he did is, as a Christian, C.S. Lewis uh, wrote an apology, which is a defense of the faith, but he wrote it from a, an evidentialist worldview, where he, without even getting to Jesus, without even really even getting to the God of the Bible, he started with, let's examine our feelings. Let's examine why do we feel better if we say, thank you, God. Oh, interesting. Okay. Why would we... Why would we feel better if we said, thank you, I, I surrender to God instead of I surrender to the universe? And so that's a, a great example of an evidential apology. And that's based on the law of nature, which is the law of the moral law, the law of right and wrong. And it's interesting because you say, I don't know why. I don't know why I say, thank you, God. And that feels better than thank you, universe. Yeah. Well, maybe how... It's because you were created in a way that thanking God is fulfilling to you. Mm. And we don't have to say who God is. We don't have to say who Jesus is. We could start with that. We could start with a common ground that anyone listening can go, you know, how's right. We could just start there. Let's, can we both agree that there is a good feeling saying, I surrender to you, God, and a less of a feeling saying, I surrender to you, butterfly, or yeah. I surrender to you, universe. Yeah. It's not as good. It does so we could start there, start yeah. with small steps. And that's evidential apologetics that C.S. Lewis kind of revolutionized. And we, most of us know him from like Chronicles of Narnia, but that was a book it ended up being a book called Mere Christianity. Look, I'm actually sitting here like surrounded by <laughs> C.S. Lewis books. It's not, I didn't mean to do that, but this is yeah. actually the book right here. Um, I promise I, d I didn't mean to do it, but I'm just kind of surrounded by him right now. Um, <laughs> but that's exactly what you're saying. And, and, yeah. and, um, and so we could look at our, everyone has a worldview. Everyone has a faith. Everyone has a belief. And some people go, I, I don't. Well, it, it takes faith to hear me and you talk about this and go, I choose to think that that's not real. Yeah. Because I, I can't prove to you with 100% evidence that God exists. Yeah. But at the same time, no one can prove that he doesn't. And mm. so both of, both of those mm. worldviews require faith. Both yeah. of them do. Yeah, yeah, that's really well put. And so you are now, uh, I don't want to misuse the wrong word, but is it is it a minister? <laughs> what, is the, what, is, what, is this, what is this next venture? What would you identify? You know, you were a country music artist, and you'll always be that. <laughs> yeah. Now you are yeah. a blank. What, what is that blank? We, we actually we've been having that same discussion because it's like <laughs> well, I'm not in ministry. That's kind of the bad. That's kind of the wrong use of that word. I think that what I'm doing is I'm writing books and I'm getting out and speaking. Mm. We'll start with we're starting with that. Okay. And the the rest of my life really is just being equipped. I'm trying to learn as much as I can. I'm actually in seminary. I'm I'm trying to um, learn from my pastor here at home, which I haven't been able to do consistently as a country singer gone on on Saturdays and Sundays most of my life. So I'm just being equipped. I'm writing books and I'm getting out and telling people where I found the treasure. That's really what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, uh, I was on your website and I went to your tour dates and now it's not concert venues, it's churches. And yeah, that's different. Um, yeah. Man, as we're coming to a close here, I'm curious, and this is kind of, you know, almost going back, but 
What has it been like if you were to describe, and feel free to use this as a moment to actually, and I'm sure you've done this, but just to reflect on how blessed you've been to tour the world and mm. you know sell millions of records and perform in front of, I don't know how many, countless people. So going back to this country music career, I mean, that was a dream of yours that I would imagine you've exceeded your wildest expectations that your younger self could have ever imagined. What has that been like looking back? Oh, man, you're right. All that has happened and incredible feeling of gratefulness to be able to look back and go, man, we did it. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I think what might be relevant to this conversation is this. As As I reflect back on 20, 25 years of touring, I could tell you with certainty that at any point in those 25 years, the good shows were great. Mm. The bad shows were not fun. Mm. And it was always relative according to the time and the era I was in in my life at that time. Meaning, when I, when I had a really, really good show in 2019 or 18 or 22, it was not that much better than a really good show in 2004. In 2004, a good show might have been 50 people singing along. Yeah. In 2022, it might have been an arena of people singing along, but it was always relative because in 2004, that was a good show. And you, could, yeah. you can't take that away from yeah. me because relative to where I was then in my career, it was awesome. And then a bad show in 2004, well, it just sucked. It sucked. It was a bad show. Yeah. And in 2022, a bad show might have been 7,000 people instead of 14. Yeah. You know, we had a, a, a low number, but we had 7,000, but that was a bad show. Oh, yeah. And so yeah. I, it, it was, it's always relative. Yeah. It never got like substantially better in the later years. I was always conditioned yeah. to either enjoy a good show or despise a bad show at whatever point in my life. I think it's, it's important for me to remember that. I love that we're wrapping up, kind of ending here, and that you, what you said, what you said, the, it's what I call the miracle life which is realizing that the life you're living right now is it's the best life could ever be based on your perception of it. Could your circumstances be better? Absolutely. Could you make more money and could your relation? Absolutely. Like, but if we allow our quality of life internally, meaning our mental and emotional and spiritual well-being to be determined by the circumstances in our life or any outside forces like the people in our life, then we're not in control. And I love what you talked, like what you just described is it's all an inner experience, right? Like mm. the way you felt performing for 50 people when the show went great was the same way you felt performing for 50,000 people when the show went great, right? Yep. And it just, go, it just goes to show that we create our inner experience, you know, and so I think for everybody listening, like realize that, that you already have everything that you need right now to be the happiest, most grateful, most fulfilled you could ever be in your life. It's called life. And yeah. you can change the circumstances, but it's still you that you're taking into those circumstances. And you can be miserable with great circumstances, or you can be totally at peace, grateful, and joyful with subpar circumstances. So yeah. wherever people are listening to right now in your life, choose to enjoy this one life you've been blessed to live because we only get one, at least here on this earth that we're aware of. So yeah, you know, let me, let me say one more thing because Please, what Ranger. helped me with that in mind, what helped me so much over the years was if I could keep my gratefulness higher than my expectations, mm. then I'm always yes. going to be happy that day. 
And it, you don't have to have incredibly high gratefulness. You're just slightly better than your expectations, as yeah. long as it beats it. And that means if you have low expectations for, say, in my case, a concert, if you have low expectations, but you're just grateful to be there, yeah. it's going to be a great show no matter who shows up. If you have really high expectations for a show, oh, you better crank up that gratefulness because you're probably going to be disappointed. Yeah, High expectations are a problem if you don't have an ex- exceedingly greater amount of gratefulness. Yeah, And it's so interesting. to You could experiment with that. Today, anyone listening can experiment with this and find out how they react to this. But the expectations are always a problem mm. because we expect, I expect that next year is going to be better than this year. And then when it's not, then we can go, I need to crank up my gratefulness a little bit more. Yeah, And then we will find through that, that joy and happiness are at the end of that for sure. Yeah. And and that's such a beautiful way to put it is making sure that your gratefulness exceeds your expectations. Right. And with that, would you say that gratitude is one of, if not the most, one of the most important components to enjoying this life that we're living? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Gratitude is, uh, is such a key, such a key in everything that we do. Yeah. Well, Granger, man, I, uh, I love you, brother. I'm so grateful that we got to connect and, uh, finally, uh, meet face to face. And like I said, now that we're both in Texas, we got to get together and, uh, grab a meal or some barbecue or something. Let's do it. I'll hold you to it. Awesome, brother. All right. Well, uh, then book y'all is like a river. It is fantastic. Granger, do you have a recommendation? If somebody were to get it, do you think that should they get the audio book or the, the physical book? Because what are your thoughts? Well, first of all, I love the audio book. I loved recording it. Yeah. I love listening to you talk, read it. Yeah. In, in a way that was performing the book. Yeah. But if you're a paper guy, you like to actually read, then I won't take that away from you either. Awesome. So grab the book, y'all, and then head over to grangersmith.com. You can also grab the book there at grangersmith.com, but uh, to follow Granger and uh, become one of his 12 million plus social media followers. You and your wife are fantastic. You and your family are a beautiful brother and look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you, Hal. Appreciate you so much, brother. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the Achieve Your Goals podcast and to get access to today's show notes, transcript, and exclusive content from Hal Elrod, visit halelrod.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Achieve Your Goals podcast. 